0: Well hello everybody. Good morning. My name is Alex and I'm one of the ministers here at Andover Community Church and it's my privilege to be talking to you all today as we continue this series called Resolution, which you may have guessed is based all around this idea that at the beginning of a new year we uh, might set out with certain goals or aspirations in mind. We might even make New Year's resolutions. And these often focus on ourselves, don't they? They're often things based around how I can be a better person or make myself a better person or make improvements in our lives um, and things like that. And whilst these aren't bad goals, um, it can be quite an individualistic outlook in life, can't it? It can make us quite self-centered, actually, and puts quite a lot of pressure on us as well. Um, And so actually, this series is kind of challenging that approach, And in the first week of the series, Chris Porter, our senior minister, um, brought us a talk where he suggested that actually, when we set out at the beginning of a new year, we're asking the wrong question. And that the question that we might want to ask, rather than just how can I make myself a better person, is how can I make the world a better place? How can I make the world? a better place. And last week, Becky uh, brought a great talk and explored one key way that we can do this. And again, she was flipping the question on its head. And she asked, actually, we need to consider what we can offer with our lives rather than focusing on what we have to show for our lives, the idea of leaving a legacy or leaving something behind to show. And I really recommend if you haven't caught either of those talks to go back uh, and watch them on our YouTube channel or via our website. So, coming back to this, then, if we are asking a different question this new year, if we're looking at this idea of how we can make the world a better place, then we need to consider what it takes to make the world a better place, don't we? What it takes actually to change the world. So I got thinking about this question this week, what does it take to change the world? And I was kind of like mulling over uh, this question and how we might respond. And I needed a bit of inspiration. So um, wisely or not wisely, on a Friday afternoon, I went to our staff team, our amazing staff team, and just asked for a couple of ideas and responses. And they'll be on the screen in just a moment's time. So this was um, how they helped me, amongst other things, just to get some answers. You can see we are a very spiritual staff team here. Maybe you can even guess which staff member gave which answer. <laughs> um, I think one of them was having a cup of tea and needing some biscuits uh, at the time. I won't see who that is. Uh, anyway, clearly there's some lighthearted answers here, aren't there? But actually, it shows that there really is a broad range of sort of responses to this type of question about what it takes to change the world. We might actually have different views on what it means to change the world or to make it a better place. And actually, Becky talked about this last week. She highlighted how when we are asking these kinds of questions, we've got to be careful, actually, because we need to consider where that standard is coming from. So in this case, what do we mean by better when we're talking about making the world a better place? According to who? You know, what I think might make the world a better place might make it worse, in your opinion or in somebody else's view. So we need a clear, universal understanding on this issue, don't we? And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But first, I want to make this a bit more personal today, and I want to ask a slightly different question. I want to ask each of you this today. How could you change the world? How could you change the world? How could you make the world a better place? Have you ever considered this question before? Maybe as a child, perhaps, I remember when we were um, kids, we loved these kinds of questions. I don't know if you've come across this, but kids can be amazingly sort of resourceful and ambitious in these kinds of uh, big questions about life and the world. And it's so inspiring. But actually, as we get older, perhaps realism sort of sets in a bit and uh, our focus comes onto other things, doesn't it? Maybe we forget about this. I wonder how this question makes you feel, what kind of emotions and thoughts does it evoke and bring up in you? It's not an easy question to answer, is it? But I think actually when it comes to sort of answering this question, there are four key categories we might fall into. And clearly, we don't, there's no neat boxes here, and there are many other options. But I wonder if one of these resonates with you today. So I think first, when you get this kind of question, you get these people, the activists, the doers. Maybe that's you. You just want to get out there, do something, make a difference, campaign, do whatever it takes to solve perhaps a problem around you or in the world or to make the world a better place. That's great. People like that are amazing, aren't they? Or maybe you're in this category, you're the thinker. These are sort of our dreamers, our visionaries, creators and our communicators even. They want to think about the problems. They want to use creative ideas, inventions, imagine, maybe communicate through writing or communication, other communication skills, their visionary strategies about how the world can be a better place. And then I think you have the realist category. Maybe we all fall into this at some point. These are the people who maybe say, well, I don't think I could change the world. That's quite a big task, isn't it? It's quite overwhelming. But maybe I could start with myself or the people immediately around me. Well, there's a great truth in that, isn't there? And if you ever kind of come across any sort of psychology or counseling and therapy, that's often the approach, isn't it? We need to start with ourselves. If we want to make a difference in the world, we do need to start with who we are. So those New Year's resolutions about making ourselves a better person aren't bad in that sense, are they? And then I think the final category we need to address, because we probably all fall into that too at some point, is the pessimist thinking, well, you know, trying to change the world is a waste of time. Maybe they've tried it. Maybe they've just got so much going on in their own life that that just seems like just not their problem right now. And there's completely good reasons for this, isn't there? You know, and maybe we have all been in that place. And maybe we've been in all of these places at different stages in our life. But I wonder what resonates with you today, where you are in your life. And I'd love us to keep this question in mind about how could you change the world as we go on today and where perhaps you land here. So we're going to dive into this a little bit deeper today. And to do that, we're going to go and look at some writing and wisdom that we find in the New Testament part of the Bible in a letter written by a man called Paul. We talk about Paul quite a lot because he's a really significant figure, he's a pioneer of the Christian faith back in its infancy when it was just a brand new movement of these Jesus followers before it was even called Christianity. And Paul lived around the time of Jesus, so over 2,000 years ago, and he lived on after Jesus. And although he never met Jesus in the flesh while he was alive, he had this amazing sort of spiritual encounter with Jesus that completely transformed his life. So Paul set about, he had a mission for his life to go about, he went on trips, he covered a huge part of the ancient world, and he was so passionate about the message of Jesus' life and death and resurrection that he traveled around spreading this news and building up communities of these brand new believers, people who would follow Jesus with their lives and spread this message of love and forgiveness. Paul didn't set out to change the world, but he did set out with a world-changing message, About Jesus, and as a result, he had a phenomenal impact on the world around him. Not just when he was alive, but right up to this day, and continues on. It's amazing that we talk about him and we read what he wrote over two thousand years ago. I think he would be amazed to know that today. And actually, Paul is what we might call today as a sort of church planter. He travelled around building up these communities with this new sort of faith movement of Christians, as they would become to known, and come to be known. And he went on several trips and uh, he planted sort of churches and communities in lots of different places in what we would know as the near um, Middle East and the Mediterranean today. And actually, if you look through history... It was because of Paul's life, because of his traveling and where he ended up, which was in Rome at the very end of his life, that he had a part to play in the fact that the Roman Empire, which wasn't Christian at the time, and in fact was persecuting Christians, centuries later would become a Christian empire. And then the message of Jesus and Christianity spread out through Europe so that today we're here in this country in complete freedom we're meeting, able to share and explore this faith together which is just incredible when you think about it. So if anybody knows about changing the world, I think it's Paul, right? (laughs) Although maybe he would not think this himself. He just wanted to go out and spread this message that he had. But actually, he made a phenomenal impact. And I think that's worth giving credit for. So the writing that we're looking at today, written by Paul, is found in a letter that he wrote to one of his big church plants, as we might call it, in a, a community of Christians living in a place called Corinth, as you can see on the map. And Corinth was a big city in a very strategic place. It was in ancient Greece, but as you can see there, it was a centre of sort of trading and commerce routes. And um, it was a kind sort of melting pot of culture, of religion, of social class. Um, and it earned itself a bit of a reputation as being a bit of a party town, really. So it was a place where there was a lot of, it was lively and festivities, but a lot of debauchery and drunkenness. And I think there was a saying uh, if you were from Corinth, you weren't really, you didn't really have a great sort of reputation, you weren't particularly reliable. So it's a very difficult place to have lasting impact with all that's going on there. And yet, Paul has set up this community of brand new believers, people who had this message that they believed could change the world around them. Now in Corinth, uh, there was a lot of sort of um, there were different religions there. Most prominently, the sort of Greek and Roman, the Greco-Roman religions, which had many gods, goddesses, and deities. So a lot of their parties and their festivals would be centered around these different deities, and these could go on for days. They'd be loud. There'd be food and drink and all sorts going on. So that was common in this city. That's the context of this place. Now the reason that Paul is writing a letter to this community. Is because he's since moved on and he's on his travels, setting up communities in other places. But news has got back to him that all is not well at this community, at this church in Corinth. Actually, they've become quite divided. There's lots of arguing going on, disagreement about all sorts of things. And you can read about that in um, his letters, actually. There were differing views on how people should live and behave and treat each other. And actually, there were things going on in this community that really didn't make for a good impact in the city of Corinth. And that's what Paul is trying to address. And I think there was a lot of pride and arrogance, too, amongst the people in this community. We only have two letters written from Paul to this church, but it's thought that there were more. There was a back and forth of correspondence as it would have been in the day, but only these two letters have survived through history. And in them, Paul gives some really direct advice to the people in Corinth, actually. Parts of his letters he really tells the church off. Uh, He gives some really clear instructions for what they need to be doing and how to do it, and how to treat each other as well. But then we get to these amazing parts where his tone really changes. And the bit we're looking at today is an amazing passage. It's a really small bit, but it's part of a bigger section where Paul talks about a solution to the heart of their problems. He talks about the importance of love. And if anyone here has got married in a church context, you may be familiar uh, with part of this passage. It's not the bit we're looking at today, but it talks about what love is like, and it's a beautiful passage. But we're going to look at the the opening verses to this section. There's only three of them, but there's so much packed into it. So today I want us just to look at these. I'm going to read them, and then we're going to look at them sort of in turn. Because I think Paul is getting at so many important issues today. Paul is trying to help this community bring about change for good in the world around them. And actually it leads on from a previous uh, sort of chapter in this letter where he's talking about something totally different. He's talking about spiritual giftings in the church So we might read that or hear that and think, well, that's very churchy, Christian language. And on one level, it is. But actually, I think there's much more to it. I think Paul is speaking into the context of his day. I think it has a lot to speak into the context of our day too. So I want us to look at these together and just keep in mind this impact, this idea of what Paul is trying to do here. So he writes this. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessions and possessed all knowledge, sorry, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And I missed out a part that said, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. These are really powerful statements, aren't they? And we might think, well, actually, the message is really clear here because Paul repeats it several times, doesn't he? He's saying, whatever we do, we need to be motivated by love, specifically love for others is what he's talking about. Otherwise, and he's very clear here too, that whatever we do is pointless, effectively. It's not going to have any lasting impact in the world around us. And absolutely, in a nutshell, I think that is what Paul is getting at. And I could end the talk here, which would be good news for probably some people here, but I think just taking that, would fall, taking that message falls a little flat, doesn't it? We just go out from here, just do it, do everything with love, love others. But what does that actually mean? What kind of love is he talking about? We may have different ideas of what it really means to love others. So let's look at it in a bit more detail about what Paul is saying, because I think there's so much more to it. And as we do this, I want us to come back to that question of how could you change the world? And where perhaps you landed on those responses to this question, because I think Paul addresses some of it amazingly. So let's go back to that first bit that he's talking about. So first of all, he says, doesn't he, he talks about languages, all the languages of earth and of angels. Sometimes this is referred to as speaking in tongues, which is a very sort of spiritual word. But he says, if I speak these kind of languages but didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's a great visual image, isn't it? Now, actually, the gift of languages and tongues may seem like that sort of churchy again Christian language but in that time and in Paul's day this would relate to other types of worship outside of the church other religions like I mentioned going on in Corinth Actually, within the Greco-Roman culture, those festivities would be loud, noisy, using all sorts of languages um, and lots of instruments that actually would relate to different deities that they worshipped. They're actually deities um, that you would have, those clashing symbols to represent them, or even a banging gong or blaring trumpets. So Paul, I think, is also getting at this idea of worship, isn't he? What has the attention and the adoration of our hearts And I think in today's world, we can worship so many different things, can't we? I think there's no end to what we can express our worship, things that we feel passionate about. And like Paul is saying, we might be able to go out and make a lot of noise, but it's just like noise, there's no melody to it. Just think of examples like in sporting games and matches, think of the songs that are sung and the chants and the cheering, maybe even a music concert. Think about protests and rallies that happen in the public spaces. They can be loud. They can make lots of attention. They can get a lot of momentum, actually, can't they? And we think might make a lasting impact. And sometimes they do, but they're not always motivated by love, are they? I think we can see this sometimes on TV and social media. There's some really sort of horrible things that go on. So I think Paul is addressing those activist types here. If that's you, uh, an activist, a campaigner, people that we need in society. But he's saying you can go out there, you can do a lot, you can make a lot of noise. But actually, if there's no love in your heart, and if you're not motivated by loving and helping others, you're going to make zero impact on the world. You may look like you are doing a lot, or you may sound like you are doing a lot. But really, you aren't. And next, Paul talks about the gift of prophecy, which we may think is a very specific gift, and he's only speaking to certain people here, but he's not. He goes on to link them with people who are wise, knowledgeable, and intellectuals even. And actually, the idea of prophecy, we can interpret that to mean people who preach, uh, speakers even, communicators in the world, people who put across their beliefs in a public way, And we even speak about the sort of modern prophets, don't we, sometimes? People who speak into culture and society in a very prophetic way, not even a religious way at all. And Paul is grouping these people together, these sort of speakers and prophets and those who are wise and have intellect. These might be our thinkers, our dreamers, our visionaries, our communicators, even our philosophers, uh, theologians out there. Again, people that we need in the world and amazing gifts that they have. But have you ever heard a talk, or a sermon even, that may be fantastic, but it's put across without any love, or without any empathy? Maybe you've read a book or an article that is brilliantly written and is making amazing points, but it might be harsh, condemning, arrogant, or uncaring. How does it make you feel? You probably think, well, the person communicating is a bit proud. They think they know better than you. And I'll be honest here, as Christians, we don't have the best reputation for this at times, but you may also feel quite hurt by this person. You may feel worthless. You ultimately don't want to hear or read anything more from them, do you? Even if they're making the most amazing point, they may have a message that could change the world, but if they're communicating or putting it across without love, then it's going to go no further. They're going to have zero impact in the world, as Paul is saying here. And I'm sure he's got cultural examples mind from his day, as we might today. So then Paul goes on to do something a bit puzzling. He addresses those people with a passionate faith. We might think, well, this is a great thing, isn't it? And I'm sure Paul is an advocate of people who are, have a great faith. But again, he's getting at the heart of the issue. And maybe you know these types of people. He's talking about people here who are so set on what they believe that they will, um, and they're so passionate about it, that they will bang that drum regardless of how damaging it might be to others. They will communicate their faith and they will express it in a way that is just not loving or caring. They may even say things like, oh, you just need to have more faith when somebody is going through a crisis rather than offering any support. And as Paul is saying here, this is faith without any loving action associated with it. Again, doesn't have a positive impact or a lasting impact in the world and finally Paul addresses again things that are really good he addresses charity giving personal sacrifice things we talk about here quite a bit actually as a faith community things that are good things in themselves and these can really make a difference in the lives of others and the world around us but again Paul's getting out the motivation isn't he behind them and the heart behind them I think we see a lot of this in the world today, actually. It's really popular, isn't it, Um, to give and support charities. And there's so many amazing charities and causes out there. And I love when you see people really rally around a cause, giving their time, their energy, their attention, their love. And it really makes a difference in the world. But there's nothing worse, is there, than a miserable or resentful giver or somebody who is smug and boastful about what they're doing and how much they give and all these things they're supporting. Or maybe even worse, somebody who humiliates the very people that they are supporting, making them feel like second-class citizens, or like because they're helping them, they have a right to speak into their life. You know, Jesus talked about this idea and said that when we give and when we help people in need, we should keep our giving secret. We should be humble about it. After all, God knows, doesn't he? So again, he's saying charity without love, it's pointless. Zero impact in the world in the the long run. And I just want to talk finally about the bit he's talking about um, sacrificing my body, which is quite a powerful statement, isn't it? And in Paul's time, this, this might be something that we don't resonate as much with and for good reason, but in Paul's time, religious persecution was common. Persecution of Christians, particularly in that society, there was religious martyrdom going on. However, amidst all of that, there were people who may even have pursued this, who wanted that legacy of having died for what they believe in or having that badge of honor, even to leave that good reputation, a bit like what Becky was sort of challenging last week. And actually, in today's context, we have a much less serious saying, don't we? Don't be a martyr. Don't know if you've heard that. Someone said it to me recently, so this is very personal, and it relates to the idea that actually um, you take on unnecessary suffering, really, to make yourself look or feel better, like you can do more and cope with more in life. And actually, you're just trying to prove your virtue, trying to prove that you're better than others, which I think is prideful, actually, and it has zero impact on the world around you. Okay, so that's Paul's, there's a lot there, isn't there, just in three verses. And I hope something has really spoken to you or resonated with you. And if it hasn't and you've drifted off, don't worry, because we're coming back in to that question of what does it take to change the world? What does it take to make the world a better place? That's what we're thinking about. So does it take action? Yes. Does it take things like thinking and dreaming and creating and communicating? Yes, it does. Does it take a healthy dose of realism? Well, yes, I think it does. Does it take faith? Yes. Does it take giving and sacrificing and helping? Yes. Does it take all of these things and so much more? Yes. But, and this is what I think Paul is getting at, there is one vital ingredient, there's one thing that's gonna make all the difference, there's only one thing that can and will make a difference in the world for good. And that ingredient, I'm sure you're all very aware by now, <laughs> is love. Specifically, love for others. It's called agape love. And what kind of love is this? It's godly love. It's love that comes from God Himself. And what does godly love look like? Well, it looks like. Jesus, and if you want an even clearer definition, go and read on from this passage. Go to that bit that's read at weddings, and Paul talks about what this love really is. Like love is patient and kind, and all these other amazing attributes, and we see that wrapped up in the person of Jesus Himself. And it's not an easy love. It's not a light-hearted, fluffy kind of love. It's a powerful and strong, a bold love. So, how can you change? the world? How can you make the world a better place? Well, simple answer for all of us, sure we've got this by now, is whatever we do, whatever gifts you have, whatever talents and passions are unique to who you are and your personality, go out there into the world, use them and do it with love. Be motivated by love for others. That's the way to make a lasting impact in the world. And the answer that goes a little bit further and a little bit deeper than this, the answer that is for all of us who consider ourselves as followers of Jesus because this is what we should be doing or be trying to do, how can we change the world? We need to seek God's heart. We need to seek God's will for our lives. And if that's you, spend time with God. Find out what moves God's heart. Find out what breaks God's heart and ask God how you can be a part of making the world a better place in response to that. And here is a community of Jesus followers, how we can be a part of responding to the things that break God's heart. It's challenging, isn't it? I don't know about you, I've been thinking about this this week and I found it really hard, but I think... There's great encouragement here that maybe God wants to use us to be the answer to our own prayers. Maybe God wants to use you to be the answer to the things that you have been praying about. Maybe he wants to use this community to be an answer to the prayer, the prayers that we are praying. And it is challenging, and I've been f- reflecting on this this week, and suddenly things in the news are uh, jumping out at me, and I'm, I'm thinking, these things break God's heart. But I don't, if I'm honest, know what I can do about them. But a great place to start is by going to God and seeking him and seeking his heart. And somebody shared with me after the, the first service that um, some great advice they were given. When you don't know what to do in these circumstances, it's just, you just do the next right and loving thing. I think there's a lot of wisdom there. And actually to help us all here at Andover Community Church next Thursday, or this Thursday coming up, we're going to be having a day to pray, where we're going to be focusing on all of these things. There's different ways that you can get involved. We've got things happening on the day, live prayers and our prayer gathering. But whether you are able and want to get involved or not, we're providing some questions that's going to help us all reflect on this. You're going to get a flyer to take away if you're here in person. If you're um, online, it's going to be on our social media and on website. We'd love for you to take this and take these questions and reflect on them in your own time. Because we wanna help each of us to seek God's heart, his will for us, to show us how we can be a part of answering those prayers. We wanna seek God's heart to see how we, as a church community, how you as an individual can make this world a better place. Let's pray together. Loving God, we just want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you for the fact that each of us are individuals and different and we have so much to offer. Lord, wherever we are right now, maybe we're in a place where we just feel overwhelmed by life and we've got to cope with that we can't even think about this idea. But Lord, we ask you would help us to make that change. Help us with whatever we're going through to make a difference in the world, starting with ourselves. And Lord, maybe you're just moving our hearts, stirring our hearts today. Bringing our our attention to a need or something in the world that you want us to step into. That we are uniquely prepared for or gifted for to respond to, to help make the world a better place. Lord, I thank you that we're not in it alone. We get to do this incredible, uh, we get to be on this incredible mission as a community supporting and loving one another and lord it's not in our strength but the the way we can go out and love and change the world is because of you jesus because of your life because your death your resurrection because you offer life and love and forgiveness that your name is powerful it brings healing it brings change and we carry that in our hearts that message that can change the world And we're privileged to be part of that, Lord. Amen.